0: Welcome to the Pineapple Couch with B-Rob. As always, I am B-Rob, and this is episode 24. And boy, do we have a good one for you today. We're going to start with a little NFL draft recap reactions with Big Dog. It's going to be good to have him on. He hasn't been on in quite a while, so we need to get our boy back. And then later on in the show, Alex and Michael will join me for some talk about the MJ Doc, episodes 3 and 4, and some other NBA discussions to try and keep the sports alive in our hearts, I guess. And then at the end of the show... I'm gonna be joined by a good friend of mine, Peter Gonzalez, to discuss Captain America: The First Avenger. So we're continuing our MCU rewatch, kind of, as we just have nothing to do. So we're gonna rewatch movies. Um, as always, please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Um, that really helps. And then I guess that's it. All right, let's go. What's up, Big Doug? Doing well, Big B Rob. How are you doing? It's been a while. It has been a while. It's good to hear your voice. I'm doing quite well. Um, we got a pretty fun episode today and what's really crazy about this is for the first time in 16 17 years the chargers have a new quarterback so you know i had to get you on this show
1: phil died for this one
0: phil died for this so let's see what um justin herbert can do for us but before we get into that let's quickly run through some of the nfl draft uh just do a little uh homework on that so we have burrow obviously goes number one to the Bengals. I haven't seen much, uh, like, I guess, like, feedback or negative feedback on Burrow. It seems overwhelmingly positive because yes. I think he's going to be a stud, don't you? I think he's going to be a stud.
1: The only thing I noted was, like, 14 LSU players were drafted. That's wild. Cell. That is insane. So he had a lot of talent, but I'm not worried about Joe mm-hmm. Burrow. He's good.
0: Yeah. Well, what, what... So everyone likes to shit on the Bengals, but if you think about it, they have a young offensive-minded coach from the Rams system in Zach Taylor, which is huge. And then they also have Joe Mixon, who's a quality running back, A.J. Green, who's an elite wide receiver when he's healthy. They have Tyler Boyd, who's good too, and then they just drafted Higgins out of Clemson. So yeah. I really like the options Burrow's going to have. I mean, maybe he gets off to a little slow start, but I expect like the last eight games of the season, he's going to be a very effective quarterback, don't you?
1: Very good. Uh, Tyler Boyd, We can mention, too.
0: Yeah. He's fast as fuck. So, um, Chase Young to the Redskins. Some people like to bring up that Chase Young didn't perform that well in the Buckeyes' last three games this past season. Um, mm-hmm. From what it looks like, he's a physical freak, and he's going to be able to get after the quarterback. Um, we'll see. He's going to the Redskins. Um, there, I just feel like, for some reason, there's so many elite pass rushers in the NFL that... It's just like, okay, yeah, here's another elite guy. Because they just come so often, you know what I mean?
1: Little, the note I have, it says this is probably the safest pick. Like, if anyone's going to do well, chase him, we'll be fine.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then, so, Tua goes to the Dolphins, and we had really built up the idea of the Chargers getting Tua in our heads. And we were very, very excited about that. And, of course... There was rumors like the day of and the day before that the Dolphins were gonna maybe trade up to get an offensive lineman. You thought maybe the Chargers would trade up to the Lions pick to maybe get Tua ahead of them. None of that stuff happened, and Tua goes to the Dolphins like they've been really predicting for a year with the tank for Tua. I mean, I know you wanted Tua, Andrew. Um, what are your like? Why don't you just? Why did you want Tua? I think and, he's the um, most. How do you think player. he'll do? Okay. Like,
1: in this draft, I think, he was, I think he's more talented than Joe Burrow, and I think he, because he had the hype for three years, Joe Burrow had it for, like, this year, because Joe Burrow mm-hmm. broke all the records, but before that, Joe Burrow was a backup, and, you know, he had to work his way up. Um, Tua, I just love watching him play. I mean, he has that, when we were watching the LSU game this past year, when he got hurt, I mean, he didn't even look that good, but the way he throws the ball, it just, it's like Patrick Mahomes-esque. You know what I mean? Such a
0: beautiful deep ball. So smooth. uh, I wanted him with Mike Williams. I thought that would be just a beautiful combination. I think they're going to slow. I think, okay, so I think Brian Flores is a really smart coach in uh, Miami. And so I don't think they're going to rush Tua this year, which I think is smart. Um, For sure. And so they'll have Ryan Fitzpatrick there who will get, who I feel like is a great guy to teach Tua because he's been a journeyman. He's been everywhere. He knows the league. Um, So I expect Tua to be really good, um, barring injury. Um, From all the medical reports we got before the draft, it seemed very, very positive. I mean, that could be what Tua and his agent want everyone to think, and it might not be the case. But from what I've heard, it seems like he's going to be healthy, and that's a great pick for the Dolphins, who really haven't had a quarterback since Dan Marino.
1: And if the Dolphins do bad this year, Tua gets a year of rest, and then they get another top-five pick, and so there you
0: go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, one thing before we get to Herbert, though, I'm so fucking glad the Patriots didn't get Tua. I just thought it was going to oh, happen.
1: I saw that route and my heart stopped. If they were going to get to like the 12th the pick and he was going to trade up or something, whatever it was, the Lions
0: pick, thank God. Yeah, Are you mad um, the
1: Chargers didn't trade?
0: So I really wanted Tua, and so I would have been willing to trade up to the three, third pick to get them, but now that the oh, we'll go into the sixth pick, the Chargers have Herbert, I'm loyal as fuck. I and people the crazy thing to me is people still don't understand my like the way I talk about Philip Rivers and the Chargers it's like they just don't get like they don't first understand, of all don't tell don't tell me what to do if you're not a Chargers fan and you you don't get what it's fucking like it's <laughs> terrible. So shut up out there and you literally could ask me Brian would Philip Rivers be better than Michael Jordan at basketball and I would say yeah he would. So <laughs> I'm a loyal guy, so with Justin Herbert, now immediately I'm like, oh, well, he was the obvious number one pick in the draft, right? He's the, the greatest quarterback the I've ever already, seen. You know? I do. Um, he's so our new prince. I, he's our king. He's our king, and so while I may have wanted Tua, uh, now I'm just, I can't do anything, so I'm all in on Herbert. I like, yeah. he's, he's quick, he's got a nice arm, he's tall as fuck, which I love. Mm-hmm. Um, and so hopefully he can... I want him to start week one, but maybe we ease him in. With I think Tyron it's gonna Taylor. take like I just don't three or four weeks minimum. I think you're right. I just don't want to watch Tyrod Taylor. I know. I want. I want Justin are so bad. Yeah. And the best so, thing about
1: the draft is like you can look on YouTube and find the best highlights about any of these players, and you can just hype yourself up and believe that. Oh yeah, be the he next looks shit.
0: elite. I mean, he you can elite. go on YouTube,
1: Herbert, and he's like he's the one. So I watched that a little bit. It mm,
0: pumped me up. Yeah, so I'm I'm really excited for Herbert coming to the Chargers. Um, I'm so glad that they didn't like not like that they didn't just say like we're gonna roll with Tyrod Taylor this year, mm-hmm. and they drafted the young quarterback. So now it's like I can kind of forgive them for letting Phil move on in a way because it's yeah, like hey, it's, they had a plan.
1: Yeah, and it's better for Phil because Phil actually has a little left. He's in the got an tank, offensive think, line for the first time the in his life.
0: There you go. He's gonna play his first home football game. Yeah, is, in five years. <laughs> think about it. The dude's like almost 40 and he's never played a home football game. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. Um, um, all right, let's r- wrap up a little on this draft and then we'll get into some other stuff. Um, CD Lamb to the Cowboys. Dak has weapons. Oh, he yeah. He has the weapons. Like, there's no excuses anymore, right?
1: Not at all. Are you surprised? Because I always thought it was like going to be Lamb or Judy, the first re- like, receiver picked, and I think it was Ruggs. Well, yeah,
0: that's just classic Raiders drafting the fastest, most athletic guy. It happens like throughout the entire history of the Raiders. That's what they do. Um, Rugs. I don't want to be like. I feel Rugs could be very good, but I mean yeah, the Raiders Alabama, draft history. Right? <laughs> yeah, but the Raiders draft history when they go like I can't remember what draft it is, but it was the it was the Michael Crabtree draft. I forget who the Raiders traded up to get, but. They took some fast guy who was supposed to be like the fourth or fifth wide receiver taken, but he was the fastest, and that didn't work out now, but what we're seeing with the league, as it, the chiefs have shown us, is speed does kill in this less violent era, so maybe this is a great pick by the Raiders, you know. Oh, a
1: little Tyree kill, gotcha.
0: Yeah, so um, another so you know who isn't happy and who does not have weapons is Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. The Packers used their first round pick to draft Jordan Love out <laughs> this- of Utah State. I was praying to God. I did not want the Chargers to take Jordan Love. I know. He just and threw like, we saw so many those picks rumors. last year. Eh, oh, that would scared the shit out of me. Um, so let me throw this at you, Andrew. Aaron Rodgers has thrown one touchdown in his entire career to someone who was drafted in the first round.
1: Who was? Do you even know who that was? Because it's like I don't even know who they drafted in the picks. I mean, so many what stats. I was thinking
0: was like maybe it was Greg Jennings or like <laughs> Good, yeah. someone old back in the day. Like was Ryan Grant that running back a first-round pick? Oh yeah, like, Ryan
1: Grant. I remember that.
0: Um, it, he might have caught a touchdown. Um, so the do Packers people, just have no weapons.
1: Do people not like winning or like appreciate the win now mode? I mean, we talk so much crap on the Packers, but, the, you know, they were 13-3 and three and four quarters yeah, away from NFC going to the Super game. Bowl. What do you do? You have Aaron Rodgers. So it's like he's under contract for four years. And then people are telling me, like, you know, they did this with Rodgers, did this to Favre. So I was like, okay, you kind of convinced oh, me. But then the second round, wait, the second round, they drafted a running back and they have Aaron Jones. And it's, it's like, just, what are you they're doing?
0: They're so dumb. And so I want to make a point about that, uh, Farv. Okay, so the reason the Packers drafted Aaron Rodgers in that draft is because he fell to 22. And Aaron Rodgers was like being said, some people say he should go yeah. to number one. So it's literally like Tua falling to number 25. Exactly. And then you do that. But Jordan Love, it's like, bro, like. He had 17 that's just picks last dumb. year at Utah State. He's going to. Who was. The Deshaun Kaiser? Was that the long yeah, time back? Deshaun up? Kaiser. It's just mm-hmm. like... It's just dumb because Aaron Rodgers clearly... He just said before the draft how he wants to finish his career in Green Bay. And he said he wants weapons. And he has Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones. But we saw what the 49ers defense did to them. They were not up to the level of... Uh...
1: Was this LaFleur's first draft or is this a second one?
0: So this is his second. I just... I... Blows my That's mind you draft. Like, That's I mean, you're 13 and
1: three, and you take two. You're going to take a second string quarterback for a couple years and a second string running back, and you were 13 and three last year. That's all I have to say.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's especially like this draft has been heralded as one of the deepest wide receiver drafts we've ever yep. had. So, like, dude, Higgins going in the third round to the Bengals, like. I, that's a better pick. The Packers should have fucking taken him twenty fifth. Like it's just so d- dumb. Like how you're not gonna get like what is it? You have Valdez, Scantling, and um, Geronimo Allison as your number yeah. two and three wide receivers. Those guys sucked. So it, it'll be interesting. Aaron Rodgers is pissed, um, but he's always pissed. So we'll see. see. Um, hey, I had a great tweet, and I don't want to be that guy who like promotes. I, I no one follows me on Twitter, so it doesn't matter. So my tweet was. Is Jordan Love is about to see how Aaron Rodgers treats family. So I thought that was <laughs> I saw that. Thought that was clever. Um, <laughs> we haven't talked since um, Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski joined the Bucks. I want to get your overall thoughts on this Bucks team and your expectations.
1: Um, I think. I mean, I'm never going to count those guys out until he retires. Because I mean, I still think they're going to make the playoffs. I thought Gronk was going to come last year. We were predicting, like, a lot of people to come in last year. And then somehow he's like, oh, I'll just go to Tampa Bay now and party it up with Tom. Um, I think they're going to be great, honestly.
0: Yeah, I'm totally on the same Uh, page as I like Bruce Arians. They have really
1: good receivers. Now you have Gronk to mix in there. I mean, good vibes in Tampa. It's
0: Brady's second best, like, weapons around him, I'd say. say, You obviously have the Randy Moss, Wes Welker era. But this, when you have Godwin, Evans, Gronk... Um, and I mean, it's just...
1: if Tom Brady needs some motivation, and, and this goes for Bill Belichick, both of them are going to be trying so hard this year to prove each other wrong.
0: Yeah, as much as I love the Bills and I love Josh Allen, I am the, the Pats are going to win the AFC East, I feel like, somehow still.
1: Speaking of the Bills, they got Jake Fromm, right? He, he, yeah. Remember that guy was like a, supposed to be he like in top to go ten go and he's like the one. fifth round. Yeah, that's he just
0: sucks. That's what I'll, I'll say. Like he had like whatever year Georgia made the um, national championship game, he was good. But Jay Fromm sucked last year. Awful. So he lost a lot of money on Georgia. Yeah, Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's true. Um, so we t- briefly just talked. We thought we talked about Tom, and then we talked brought up the Patriots. So I'll fast forward to this part of the pod. The Pats are the favorite right now to land Cam Newton. How do you feel about that? I mean, they didn't—they didn't draft a quarterback, right? Yeah, so, so that means they either like Stidham or I, have their eyes on Newton. I don't know.
1: I kind of think they're going to keep Stidham. I think there's going to be like a Jimmy G project with Bill. Be- I think Bill Belichick just wants to prove that he is an absolute guru. Stidham was right. good in college, and and it's like i mean yeah, and then. What's the co I mean, they don't like paying people and don't you have to pay Cam Newton a yeah. decent so amount?
0: The rumor with them getting Cam Newton would be essentially Cam Newton comes to New England on a cheap deal, like one year, two million to like show everyone that he's still worth it. And I I find that like really fascinating, like the idea of seeing Belichick have Cam Newton, like a mobile quarterback, and this is all like it all doesn't really matter if Cam st- can't stay healthy, you know, mm-hmm. which has been such a – we, you and me have always said, like, I've never seen someone get hit h- harder in so many games than Cam Newton did. After they made that Super Bowl run, he just got
1: He literally got murdered, destroyed. like, the first Thursday night game against the Broncos. He- like
0: and But just, like, every game, week yes. after week. And so he's such an electric player to watch, so I obviously hope that uh, we get to see him um, again. And that would be fun to watch him with Belichick, but I just kind of feel like – Belichick, we got to give him the benefit of the doubt. He knows what he's doing. He, if Belichick says that Stidham's the way to go, well, this is the guy that benched Drew Bledsoe for Tom Brady, so I'm going to trust him there, you know?
1: Exactly. Where do you think Cam's going to
0: go then? It, I don't know. Because I, I thought I was going to be
1: the Bears, but I forgot they get they traded for foals, so that's no.
0: So like a couple places I thought about was um, I thought about the Jaguars, because that's your, I mean, no, that's whoa. my boy Gardner Minshew. But they there's a lot of QB rumors linked to them. I also thought. Now tell me if I'm weird for thinking this. I thought of the Rams.
1: You're weird for thinking that. It's weird. Because I, I think Jared I just Goff just like that, restructured his contract. And I think he just won a lot of people back by doing that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I like Jared Goff, so I'm just saying. But I think that that would be interesting, as if like. Cause th-
1: I don't know. If I the think Rams are
0: ring- kind of down on Jared Goff, maybe they... It's a, It was a wild card. I, I just had to throw that one out there to test it. It would out. be I think the Ram
1: right. thing to do to get another superstar, though, within the high salary yeah. and not much so, deduction.
0: <laughs> that would be very interesting. Um, thoughts on Jameis going to be the backup of the Saints? Do you believe that Jameis is the future QB in an in new orleans and also do you believe in Jameis in general what, do you, what are your thoughts on the situation
1: i like really want to believe in Jameis winston but i only see the highlights of him throwing a 50-yard touchdown and a 50-yard pick six um
0: he's quite good at that. i point. would
1: say he should still be a starter though i think he's still good enough there's gotta i mean i'd give him a shot he's still number one pick i know it's fourth fifth year but the guy is so
0: exciting and there's got to be a coach. Would you say that, that Jameis is better than Derek Carr and Marcus Mariota?
1: Definitely Mariota. Um, I feel like, see, Derek Carr doesn't take enough chances for me, and then Jameis Winston takes too many yeah. chances for me. Because it's like, I don't, I don't see really Derek Carr point. throw the ball. Like, we always talk about he doesn't throw the ball past five yards now, and then Jameis Winston only throws the ball over 50 yards. So,
0: yeah, I would go, yep. I'll take Carr. Okay. Um let's go to I thought this would be interesting. Um I'm going to give a list of quarterbacks that are in kind of like this middle tier of the NFL right. and I want us to kind of put them into a list of where we rank them. So just to get the names out there, we have Dak Prescott, Carson Wentz, Deshaun Watson, Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, Ryan Tannehill, Kirk Cousins, Jared Goff. Let's start Andrew. Where do you, who do you, does anyone stand out in this group to you as number 1?
1: Um I'm putting I think Deshaun Watson, I really, I love him. I think he's a gamer. I know he's annoying and he's frustrating, but I think being on the Texans and the Texans just trading DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson or whatever it was was proves how, what a mess they are. I think he's an absolute winner, Deshaun Watson, though, because he finds ways. I've seen it before. Okay.
0: So I like Deshaun Watson, and this is, he's, I have him at number two on this, and that's no disrespect because I really love Carson Wentz. And if he's going to be healthy, I, and the Eagles can give him weapons. I think Carson Wentz is a playmaker, and that's not really taking anything away from Deshaun Watson. I think both are very good quarterbacks. Um, I would have Wentz slightly ahead of Watson, but it's very close. And I think those two, those are my one and two. And then for the three spot, I think Josh Allen's better than Dak Prescott, right? Like, I have Josh Allen at the three spot. Am I forgetting something? What do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean Dak Prescott has better weapon, and the Cowboys are just better in general. But
0: <sighs> not when remember on Thanksgiving though when Josh Allen came into town. Oh, he looks so good. Yeah. Okay, Josh yeah. Allen. He looks so good on Thanksgiving. Okay, so are we putting Dak Prescott then ahead of Baker, Tannehill, Cousins, and Goff? Uh,
1: Dak's better than Baker. Dak's better than Kirk. What was the third one?
0: Goff and Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill, man. oh. Um, I got. I'm gonna give it to Dak over Tannehill because the the Viking or the Titan success in the playoffs, while it was cool, he like was throwing for 80 yards a game. True. And I honestly, this can, might right? be dumb. I'm gonna put Jared Goff over Tannehill. Or over, yeah. I'm gonna go. So my list would be Wentz, Watson, Allen, Dak, Goff. Is Baker better than Cousins? Ba- Baker, Cousins, Tannehill. Or Tannehill, Cousins. Um, yeah, I think Baker's better than Cousins and Tannehill. Um, I think that last year was a worst-case scenario for him in Cleveland and how that all went. So I am um, I'm, I'm not saying on. that he's better than Lamar Jackson. I'm just saying uh, I think <laughs> he's going to have a better year next year. Not than Lamar Jackson, just than he had this year. <laughs> Got to clarify Greatest player of all time. Down.
1: Um, I would go Watson, Carson Wentz, Dak, Allen, Goff, Baker Cousins.
0: Okay, so you have Tannehill at the bottom? Put Tannehill
1: after Allen, actually.
0: Okay, I like that. Um, one guy I want to get your opinion on real quick before we wrap up is, uh, drew lock so they're really they got melvin gordon this offseason the broncos they all obviously have philip Lindsay. they got uh jerry judy um and they also i believe got another wide receiver and this is all pretty much being built around drew lock i i like what i saw out of drew lock last year which i hate to say because i fucking hate the denver broncos um are you as pessimistic as i am and think he's gonna be good
1: of course he's going to be good, because, so, I mean, the Chargers, once they get something right, the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, and then the Broncos get Melvin Gordon. I'm sure Melvin Gordon's going to be, like, rusher
0: of the year. Hope. I hate Melvin Gordon. <laughs> Fuck that guy.
1: So glad they didn't sign him, though.
0: Glad we, they oh kept that player. Oh, my God. Thank God. And, whatever. Thank and then
1: they got God. Josh Kelly, the guy from UCLA, baby.
0: <laughs> yeah, that'll be sweet. Um, last thing before we wrap it up, um, the Bears QB situation. You got Trubisky and Foles. Who this is? A, this is a tough. This is a. Oh, so you think week one, Nick Foles? I think start? this is a
1: joke. I mean, why would you trade for someone paid twenty million a year? Yeah,
0: I agree. I, I think Trubisky is so bad too. So it's just I like mean, didn't, who was the quarterback, backup quarterback for the Bears last year that like looked oh, um, made them look like competent for a little, and he just sucked. It wasn't Chase like, Daniel, wasn't, was it? I might, I almost wanted to guess Kyle Orton, but that's like ten years that too late. Was, um, yeah. <laughs> Was it the guy who looks like Brian of Tar? Or no, is it um, McCown?
1: McCown was on the Eagles. Or no, maybe, I don't even remember. No, you're right,
0: he was on the Eagles. I don't know, but yeah, I just think Trubisky's trash. And um, Nick Foles, you're only going to pay him that amount of money if you're going to probably start him. Um, And isn't, I think Foles is familiar with uh, Matt Nagy because Matt Nagy is part of the Andy Reid coaching tree, which so is Doug Peterson.
1: Yes, they where are. Or you know, and I just yeah, Dick so. Nick, baby.
0: Yeah. Um. So yeah, Andrew, it's been great to have you on. We're gonna get you on probably next week and do some sort of baseball update because I think, and I think you do too, that baseball will be the first sport to return. So obviously, we're gonna be all in on that because we miss sports. So we'll be we'll have you back next week. Maybe talk more NFL stuff, but also we're gonna get into baseball. How's that sound?
1: That sounds fantastic.
0: All right, buddy. It's been great talking to you. Stay tuned. We're gonna talk with Alex and Michael next about the MJ doc and some other stuff. I
2: am recording. Yeah.
0: Welcome back to the Pineapple Couch with B Rob, uh, joined by two two great gentlemen here today to talk about the Michael Jordan documentary as well as some other MBA things and maybe some quarantine recommendations. Alex Canner, how you doing
3: I'm doing fantastic it is uh, 80 degrees here in Santa Cruz so I am uh, officially living my best life
0: yeah it's uh it's been it was in the 90s here in Orange County this past week so I've been swimming been quite nice let's throw it over to Michael Frank Michael how are you doing
2: this is one of the best days of my young life I would say so far uh, Wow I'm talking about Jordan uh, I got a little knee injury so I feel a little bit like I'm on that Bulls team. Um and yeah, I'm I'm ready to uh to chit chat about a documentary that I personally love so much.
0: Alright, yeah, let's uh let's get right to it. Um so I guess what we'll do is we can just go over um some of the things that happened and when you guys want to chime in with whatever, feel free to jump in. Um I'll start us. I guess one really cool part. Actually let's just go in like kind of chronological order. What did you guys think of Dennis Rodman and his Vegas vacation, Madonna, how he handled the Spurs. Let's get into that.
3: I can go. I can go here. All right. So, there we first go. of all, I think that one of my favorite, my favorite things of that entire Dennis Rodman section is him describing how he gets rebounds. Like, w- what a tactician he is when he's talking about the way in which he has memorized the role of, of the ball based on who was shooting it and from where it's where it's coming from. I could watch like, that for like three hours. I could so watch good. that for so long. So could I. There's such a cool thing about somebody who just hones in on their craft. And when it's something that's so unique is just getting rebounds, it's so cool. And I think it was so interesting to watch. Like when was the last time, I mean honestly, when was the last time you saw a guy tip a ball four times just to get a board? I can't, I don't think I've ever seen that. I don't think anyone cares I, enough about a rebound to do that anymore. I can't think of anyone. It it just doesn't happen. Like no one's pushing themselves maybe, to get that. Maybe er, Russell early Westbrook. DJ,
2: maybe. Early early DJ, I don't know. I don't I know. Feel I know. Like I MV, Russell, maybe
3: because he's, like, he's clumsy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the only other guy is probably Westbrook, but he's probably like tipping it off the backboard, you know, yeah. a couple times just to get that get that uh <laughs> get Stat that triple padding. double. But anyways, yeah. that part I loved. The Vegas part I loved. I just I wish that I wish that um Someone would do that nowadays, because that would be the best news story of all time.
0: Uh, I don't think Dennis Rodman could survive in the modern NBA, with just the way the news cycles are. Like he would have to tone down his personality and not do that sort of shit. It just wouldn't fly, right?
3: No, it'd be. Impossible. I mean, unless he
2: was in a market like uh, I don't know, if he was on the Pelicans or if he was in uh, maybe Minnesota or. or, or- I, I don't know. I, th- I think he could maybe thrive in one of those really small well. No, where... I think he
0: plays well in the NBA. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like, yeah, talking, I just think playing M- or just... I think playing. He'd be dominant. He's one of the best defender, maybe the best defender of all time. I was just saying, I don't think that. I think he gets suspended a lot for his off the court actions now. And his that...
3: on the court actions, probably. Yeah.
0: One thing I w- well, th- oh, all yeah, right, Michael, go ahead. Uh, go ahead.
2: I was just gonna say the the biggest thing that I, I was trying to think about while watching him having just fantastic time in Vegas was what other profession could you do this? And, and the repercussions be this minimal
0: professional gambling. basically.
2: True. (laughs) True. I was just thinking like, no, there's none. He, he jams right past the deadline and he comes back and, and basically everyone's just so happy that he's back and he's still in fantastic shape. I mean, yeah. He's I, I it's it's just incredible, I think the leash and they talk about that a good amount in that episode, but the leash that they were giving Rodman
0: mm-hmm.
2: just the give and take of that team and it showed why they just continued, I thought, to win and win and win. Because everyone's chemistry and everyone's ability to see, okay, this person needs time, this person's need needs the ball, this person needs X, Y, and Z. I I just was floored by that. I, I didn't remember that story at all.
0: Yeah, I, I really enjoyed to go off that point like the story of when Jordan was talking about when they were running and like basically you run around the gym and then you you have to run to the front and that like sort of whatever that drill's called yeah. Um, and how dominant Rodman was in that and to carry on into our next point I really enjoyed Phil Jackson um, just the, his everything about him in this episode especially his conversation he had with Rodman about um, I believe it was like relating to some sort of like Native American story that Rodman Liked and Phil Jackson because he's the Zen master knows all this stuff, and they went into how he knows that stuff. Um, yeah. I really thought that um, this episode showed how important Phil Jackson was because, like you guys said, yeah. like Pippin not playing half this season because and waiting to get surgery, Rodman needing a vacation. Phil Jackson was so great at managing all of this, and it's still like I know we talked about this, Alex and did last time. I still can't believe they told him, We're done with you. Like, how would you want to replace Phil Jackson?
2: It makes no sense. It it makes absolutely no sense. It, I, I mean, just going off of that, my one of my favorite parts of the documentary so far is talking to, like, the beat writers of the time. I think that their ability to mm-hmm. pull in, especially my favorite guy, uh, Sam Smith, the, the older gentleman with the, the nice mustache... It, it, who who would just cover the, the the team for you know for 25 30 years it's incredible to hear them talk about it because i mean like we can say now okay that was really dumb like that made no sense they shouldn't have done that but it's just great to hear it from actually the beat writers of the time how absolutely just incredulous that decision is
0: yeah exactly um alex what did you take away from the whole so i'll lay the groundwork here for you so Phil Jackson was brought in, he cute. Where did he where did he coach? Can you guys, was it Costa Rica?
3: It was in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. And then to New York.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and um and so he gets brought in while Doug Collins is the head coach and um he is told to learn from Tex Winters, who's basically the guy who created the triangle. And I thought that this part was really interesting. One because it kind of mirrors how um how the GM is lining up a guy to replace Phil in the like 98 in the year nineteen ninety eight, in this documentary, but they're doing a good job of mirroring that and how they did the same thing to Doug Collins. Um, mm-hmm. is, Alex, I just the floor. The floor is. I'm gonna give you the floor here on like Phil Jackson and what you thought of that.
3: Yeah. So, so I kind of knew a lot of this backstory um, going into this section. Um, so huge shout out to Phil Jackson's book Eleven Rings. If you haven't already read it, um, I've only read it. It is. His-
0: Won the last season I need to check that one out sorry yeah so
3: 11 rings really goes in depth about the triangle offense um, and and how we learned it from Tex and um, and it's well first of all just from the way in which you have I think the ability to have a a point forward right like you can't really run you can't run a triangle offense without wings and so if you have a guy like Scotty Pippen, that is what allows you to run run a triangle offense. Like it's not Jordan that allows you to run a triangle offense. It's guys like Scotty Pippen that allows you to run a triangle. Um so anyways, I think in that situation, um the triangle offense was going to do really really well in Chicago. Um but I mean it's 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 amazing to see. I mean even like Doug Collins talks about it, right? Like he said that he knew Phil Jackson was going to take over. And I and I think that You know, one thing they don't really talk about that I would have that I was wondering is like, how are the players responding to having an assistant coach or assistant coaches wanting to run an entirely different style of offense than your head coach? Right. Like, so when you get into the practice situation, the triangle offense is so different from what they were running that, like, in a practice scenario, it was Michael Jordan running this offense and then going over to the sideline and saying, like, hey, Phil, what do you think about that? But it sounds like from the documentary that they didn't really start implementing the triangle until um, he takes over. But it's, it's a, I mean, it's a really cool setup. And when you, when you think about the teams that have run it to perfection, right, they're in the NBA at least. Um, they're both under Phil Jackson, and they both won multiple championships. Right, so we're talking about the Bulls, and we're talking about the Lakers, um, both of which had really good wings and a dominant number one guy that is going to draw a lot of the defense, which allows you to swing the ball and essentially run a triangle to 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 its perfection. So, um, it was really cool. Like, I I think that the. Biggest thing, right, and uh, the number one thing that allows you to win and sustain championships is your number one player, and we see this with the Warriors and we see this with other teams, is your number one player saying, I'm willing to take a backseat role in this situation. right? And that's what Jordan did, um, and, and that's what allowed the Bulls to win. And the perfect thing about that is when you have a guy like Jordan is he can push the ball around, he can let other guys touch it, but the second it gets to the end of the game and there's – a minute left, 2 minutes left, 3 minutes left, he can go score 15 points and you you can you can essentially say no more triangle. Michael, go get it. KD, go get it. Steph, go get it. LeBron, go get it. Right? Like those are the situations that it, that it would work in. So, it,
2: awesome. Do you do you do you subscribe to the belief that uh Doug Collins is the person that helped make Michael Jordan that player though? That that he could in the last 2 minutes come and and just win a game do you think doug collins uh contributed heavily to that or do you think that he was just taking credit for for uh for helping michael kind of on that journey
0: i think um while he doug collins may have been like a good coach for michael to have and i think that michael jordan was going to go through that regardless of what who was coaching him when it was just him on those bulls teams when scotty wasn't big enough to get into or wasn't Uh, old enough or ready to take that giant role. I think Michael Jordan was going to be Michael Jordan regardless of who was coaching him. I mean, I would give more credit to Roy Williams, in North, or not Roy Williams, Dean Smith in North Carolina, Mm -hmm. and Roy Williams, I guess, was an assistant at that time, than to Doug Collins. um, And then obviously I'd give Phil Jackson a lot of credit. But really, Michael Jordan was going to be Michael Jordan. It's kind of like the feeling, I think Alex and I were talking a little earlier today about how they were calling – it was either one of you were telling about how when before Michael Jordan had won his first title, they were already saying, "Oh, it's a matchup between the two best players in the league, Magic and Michael." Um, so he yeah. he was he was going to become Michael Jordan, regardless, though.
3: Yeah, and I think when it comes to guys like Michael, right? Like, what is a good coach for him? It seems like a good coach for him is a guy that helps him grow but really focuses on allowing him to do what he's already going to do and then improving the other 11 guys, right? Like that is what is going to take a really good coach on a team that already has a transcendent player. Um, Mm -hmm. So when you look at Doug Collins, like as long as you're not debilitating Michael Jordan in some way, um, then you're almost going to be seen as a good coach. You know, like you, you, you have that, he has that like servant type leadership where you're, you're letting Michael do his thing and you're going to be there behind him to kind of like, orchestrate the rest of the organization you know
0: absolutely uh, let's get into the uh, one of my favorite parts of this episode was when they talked about the michael jordan isaiah thomas beef and you could see Love how, it. how to this day michael jordan still fucking hates isaiah thomas <laughs> so much and basically called how i called what isaiah thomas would say and all this stuff um I just loved that part of it, and I I'm not one of those people who doesn't think that there aren't like rivalries anymore in the NBA. Like like I'm not like I do miss like maybe the ferocity of the Isaiah Jordan beef, but like there's plenty of guys who dislike each other today. Currently, um, I just to go to you guys. Um, this is obviously one of the the MJ Michael beef from him not shaking hands with the uh, the Pistons, not shaking hands with the Bulls after they beat him in the Eastern Conference Finals was one of the main reasons that Isaiah Thomas was left off of the dream team. And mm-hmm. um, I kind of want to get your guys' perspective on this whole beef and see where you stand, because I'm fully like, fuck Isaiah Thomas, and I'll get into that a little more later, and I'm with Michael Jordan. Let me hear what you guys got.
2: Yeah, I, I think just to start it off, I, I want to talk really quickly. Um, and, I mean, Brian, you, you also studied journalism in college, but I think the idea – The idea – of showing your interviewees video of your other interviewees to just gauge reaction is not something that is, uh, let's say like recommended during a uh, documentary or or like journalism education. It's not something that they necessarily tell you to do, but in this setting it works to perfection. They do it a few times, you know, in in these episodes and it's incredible because you're just seeing the immediate reaction of, someone who hates another person hearing like hearing something that they already don't want to hear, you know, like they, they know it's going to be negative and then you're just capturing that reaction completely without um, any barriers. And I just thought that first off was really, really smart and it worked about as well as it could have. It was a good way to
0: gauge personalities. I totally agree.
2: Exactly. And then I I just completely agree. I think the Pistons not shaking their hands, I even wrote in my notes, I wrote, you know, biggest FU to, like, an opposing athlete, or at least, like, the best opposing athlete in all of sports. Like, top five, top ten, biggest FU moment, especially watching it over again. It it just, it it was painful almost to see, especially after the Bulls had lost year after year to the Pistons. Uh, I just think the drama, it was... It's pretty dramatic. I think it's just a little dramatic and a little ridiculous of that Pistons team.
0: Yeah, I mean that Pistons team. I, I'm not. They were an amazing, amazing team that played a, a tough style of basketball that I respect. I really like Joe Dumars, and I I don't hate Bill Laimbeer. I hate Isaiah Thomas. He's such a fucking bitch. <laughs> like, sorry, excuse my language, but actually, I, I don't even need to say that. Um, but. So I want to give you reasons why Isaiah Thomas sucks. So not only did he walk off against the board, and he sucks as in he's a bad person. Isaiah Thomas is a great basketball player. Um, he walked off the court with the rest of the Pistons against the Bulls. He said in the mid-80s that Larry Bird wouldn't be thought of as great if he wasn't white. And then they had to do the most awkward press conference of all time where it was Larry and Isaiah, and Larry, they, like, squashed the beef publicly. And you knew Larry was just pissed that he even had to do that. Um and then he also spread some bad shit about magic when magic was going through stuff and he was supposed to be magic's best friend. And they always beefed. I just think he's fake. And I love that. Michael Jordan still hates him. It's so, it's so great. Just the look in Jordan's eyes, the, the way he just dismisses it right from the beginning. I, and I agree with you, Mike, that's just like that way of doing it in an interview isn't as, isn't very conventional, but really, really like it. Um, Alex, what do you got
3: on this? Um, so I think that the, the thing that stands out so much to me, and this goes back to episode one, when Jordan is coming back from injury, um, and management of the Chicago Bulls would prefer him not to play. So they can essentially do what we would now refer to as tanking for draft picks. Um, Michael Jordan has an outstanding respect for the, game of basketball, like the, the, the structure, Mm -hmm. the unspoken rules of the game. And that is that you are always giving it 1000%. Um, and, and like on top of that in, in times of loss, that doesn't mean that you disrespect the game. So like, I think that when it comes to Michael's view on Isaiah, and I think when it comes to Michael's view on a lot of things, obviously I don't know him, but I think it is not necessarily like a personal thing. Like I hate Isaiah because Isaiah disrespected me. It's that I have a passion and a love for the game of basketball and Isaiah Thomas disrespected the game. Um, so I think Michael probably doesn't like think that Isaiah is doing it to spite him, and maybe he does. It's more, but I, I would imagine in his mind he's thinking that. And, and I imagine that's why he, you know, may have not wanted Isaiah on the dream team, is that you're basically saying, "Look, if this is a guy that would do what he did um, in that game, then he doesn't deserve to be wearing the United States logo because he has no respect for the game." Um, that's what I look at it. So yeah. It, yeah. No, he's very traditional. I mean, that's like this, mm-hmm. this Michael Jordan is incredibly traditional when it comes to the game of basketball, you know? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and it's awesome. It's, it's, it's cool to see. And I think that Isaiah Thomas, like he just, ah, uh, he messed up. He messed up. You shouldn't listen to Bill Lambeer, much. man. D- D- Bill Lambeer sucks, you know? <laughs> and I don't yeah. like Bill Lambeer that much. But here's a thing that I also do think, and I, Brian, you mentioned it really quickly, is that you have to find a way to win. And I think that people talk about like, oh, yeah, the the, the Pistons didn't have the same level of skill. They're beating the crap out of people. Honestly, so what? They won. Yeah, kudos like, to them. If you win, yeah. it is fine. You're trashy people, fine. Like You're winning basketball games. If no one can come beat you, then whatever, you know. Um, But still, I don't really like Bill. I just, he seems like he's doing it really out of spite against people. Um, but yeah, that was, that was a tough moment. And, uh, Isaiah Thomas really missed out on that dream team.
0: Yeah. Um, I wanted to, um, that, that, that Pistons team. I know I sound very negative about Isaiah. I think they're one of the greatest teams of all time. I think with the versatility that that team had with Rodman and you got Dumars and Isaiah and Lambeer and Mahorn, um, it, they were a fantastic team. I mean, they dethroned the Larry Bird Celtics. That's an incredible achievement. I wanted to now transition. Do you guys have anything else you guys want to talk about in the doc before we transition into a little modern day? I'm sure you do.
2: I got one more thing uh, on Jerry Krause. I I just think that, and I was thinking this through the first couple episodes, but really towards the the end of the fourth episode, just having a villain in a documentary like this is so important and essential to the success of the documentary. I, I, I've I been thinking more and more about it and and kind of even I was looking at other documentaries I was watching um, and I was trying to compare it to something as simple or, or, or dumb as Tiger King. But like any sort of longer anthology documentary like this, having a common villain or, or thread that, most of the main players in the doc are actively disliking uh that you can keep coming back to is just such a strong technique for you to buy in to kind of like everyone in this entire situation it's just like such a quick thread to continue drama throughout every single episode
0: yeah and the fact that he's dead too makes it kind of interesting because he can't even defend himself true
3: yeah, I I think the tough part though is that like, is he the villain? You know? Exactly. Like I the documentary obviously makes it sound like he is. Um but uh you know, without Jerry, does any of this happen? No. You know, so definitely not, no. It's it's um it's kind of an interesting thing. And it's it yeah, and what you said, Brian, right? Like it's tough that he doesn't have the ability to then say what he was thinking in those certain mm-hmm. moments. Um But, uh, when it, when it comes to the organization of a team, right, like, I mean, just circle back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the documentary, like, he was already grooming Phil Jackson to be the coach, and who would have thought at that time, you know, that, that, that Phil Jackson would be the right coach, and who would have thought at that time that the triangle offense would actually work, right, like, Mm -hmm. no one had done it before, I mean, Tex had done it in, in collegiate, in the collegiate realm, um, but not in the NBA, right? So, um, and and it, and it goes back like even when he has this the new coach, right? As and we as we circle back into the ninety eight, you know, it's just the the type of person it seems like to always be looking for that next thing, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. And yeah. And obviously, it. It, it was it was the right decision at the beginning, not at the end. But you know, he got six rings out of it. So,
0: yeah, exactly. Um. Is that all you guys have or anything else?
3: Is Jerry Krause <laughs> Is Jerry Kraus the coach of the Monstars? Yes or no.
0: <laughs> oh shit. That's a good point. No, that's that's a, that's a good
2: question. That's a deep cut. I mean, look that's,
3: at look have we seen them both in the same room? That's all I'm saying.
0: Well, we'll have to maybe have a one of the pineapple couch listeners do a deep dive on that for us and they'll report back. <laughs> um, I wanted to transition now into a little MBA talk, um, because I want to keep the spirit of this season alive somewhat before I got to the topic. I told you guys though, I want to quickly touch on something. So Draymond green's been talking shit. He has been open his mouth and I fucking love it. He, I agree with pretty much everything he is saying and here's the thing he has been getting a ton of disrespect so like I mean and I get it if you're not a Warriors fan why you wouldn't like Draymond Green but the people like there's people saying like he doesn't belong in the conversation of one of the best defenders of all time that's incorrect Draymond Green does belong in that conversation. I'm not saying he's better than Rodman. Draymond Green is a transcendent defender that literally changed the game of basketball by being that small ball five. So we can take shots and stuff, and yeah, he's not better than Shaq. He's not a better peak defender than Rodman. He's still damn good, and he's a three-time NBA champion and changed the game of basketball. And he's going to be a Hall of Famer. That's my Draymond Green rant. Any reaction to that?
3: Do we think that Draymond Green and Steph Curry would cook Kobe and Shaq in the pick and roll? Because I think that's that, the one that
0: I think about all the time. Yes, I. It wasn't. It was just she said Shaq. If you have Shaq, Shaq can't switch on to Curry. Oh, it's
3: so true. He would he'd cook like, him like barbecue. Shaq
0: chicken. though would go into the post on the other end and get his. I'm not saying that, but. And it also depends on what area you're playing it with. Everything's
3: allowed. Like I don't know. We had Bogut. I think Bogut would lock Shaq down. <laughs> I don't know Bogut where this Zee conversation league. is going. Are yeah. you
2: saying? Are you saying that the some of those Warriors teams could have beaten the early 2000s? Well, 100
0: percent. The ones, the Laker, the Warriors teams with Kevin Durant could beat the 2001 Lakers. Yes.
3: You think I'm doubling down <laughs> on that as well? Kevin
0: Durant. <laughs> Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, like bro, come on. I'm not saying it would be like a sweep. I'm saying it like might be a six or seven game series, and maybe sometimes if you played that series ten times, maybe the Lakers win four, the Warriors win six. But Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and Klay Thompson being on the same team is an offensive firepower to the like maybe that we've never even will ever see again in NBA history.
2: I mean, who who was on who else was on that Lakers team besides Kobe and Shaq? Rick I mean, Fox,
0: Derek Fisher.
2: I mean, um, Rick Fox. You me he's not. He's not, He's not locking down uh, Durant. Rick Fox, Rick Fox is a good-looking
0: dude, but he's not. He's not <laughs> locking down KD. All right, let's get out of that rabbit hole. I'm not because I just Draymond <laughs> deserves a little more respect and. um but he, that's why Draymond's so great. is because everyone who doesn't root for him hates him. So I guess I'll just live with that. Let's get into the topic I sent you guys a little earlier today. I want to talk about the future of the Eastern Conference. All right? Um, we got Giannis, obviously, in Milwaukee with the Bucks, And for the sake of this conversation, we're going to assume that he's going to re-sign there. So we're not going to get okay. into that. Um, and we have Tatum and Brown on the Celtics. You got Siakam and company up in Toronto. Embiid and Simmons in Philadelphia and Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler who will be getting up there in age but I want to get your guys' opinion on what you think the future of the Eastern Conference for the next 5-10 to 10 years is going to look like. Are we going to be watching Giannis Tatum Eastern Conference Finals potentially for the next 5 years or do you see someone else rising up? Um, it's really just an open-ended question you guys can go anywhere with it. So, Michael, you want to start? Alex, you want to start? Whoever. Michael, you go.
2: Okay, so I think... First of all, you left a, a big uh, big team and uh, player off that list, uh, and that is the beautiful, wonderful uh, Victor Oladipo on the Indiana Pacers. I am much higher on the Pacers than I thought I was going to be when doing this exercise, but I was thinking, and this is kind of an interesting comparison, but I was thinking of them kind of as the, uh, the jazz of the East with... Oladipo and Sabonis um and i i just think that they are basically if they could get one more young piece, one more solid role player, i think that they would vault to top 3 top 4 in the east. I i would i mean in just in terms of cohesion, being a well-coached team, having an identity um that that's my biggest problem with some of those other teams is Philadelphia still feels like they don't have an identity and I just I just don't know how you can win a championship or or be incredibly successful if you don't have one Um, I think Giannis is going to be there for the next five to ten years I think he's going to continue to be dominant Um, so he's always a factor and then the other team would be the Celtics I I just think watching a lot of Celtics basketball before quarantine hit I mean Brown and Tatum look like they're just going to continue getting better on both ends of the floor and having two incredibly solid young um, wings is the way that the nba has been heading over the last few years
0: yeah i agree with your um i do like i like the pacers and i do like victor oladipo i just think he, if you're talking about a championship contender he's got to be at least like the number two on your team we're thinking about like the like he's great, but I don't think he can lead a oops, sorry, lead a championship team. Um, I before you go, Alex. Um, I like the idea. I think the Celtics and Bucks, pre- assuming Giannis stays. I like. I don't even. I think it's like 50-50, honestly, because if, because if Tatum and Brown reach their ceiling of what they can be, and Giannis obviously continues to get better, those will be some absolute battles in the Eastern Conference Finals, and I like Siakam and the Raptors a lot more than Embiid and Simmons, because like Michael said, I don't think Embiid and Simmons really mesh together, and we don't know if that might get separated, so Alex, what do you think?
3: So, when I think about, like, what teams are ready to go win championships in the next five years, right, like, what, what teams have players that can push a team to a championship in the next five years, like... So Siakam, okay, can he lead the Raptors without Kawhi to a championship? I don't know. I personally don't think so. Can Giannis? Yeah, probably. But the one player that you guys have both failed to mention in the team that has currently, probably as of next year, the third best player in the entire NBA is the Brooklyn Nets. And when Kyrie and Kevin Durant come back and – at the point in their careers in which they're saying to themselves probably that I need to go win a championship within the next five years because I probably will not have the ability to do so after that point. Um, I think that you see that team making the biggest run over the next five years, and they will always be there because those two guys, theoretically this may or may not be their last shot, um, at winning a championship. And I think the Nets organization is primed to support those two players. Once they come back, once they're healthy. Now there's obviously the huge, if they are healthy, um, which, I mean, I don't know if we want to dive into that hole because then we can dive into a lot of these different places. Like it does Tatum leave, does Giannis leave? So like, let's just assume that people sign and people are healthy in this world that we're living in. Um, but I, that's kind of my team, right? Because, like, I think when you get to the end of it, like, I'm choosing Kevin Durant at the end of a game definitely over the Sixers. I'm choosing Kevin Durant at the end of the game over the Raptors. So, What
2: what do you think about it from a chemistry standpoint, though? I mean, I, it, who's, who's going to be taking the shot? Who's going to be KD. leading the team? I mean, they're, they're both guys that I think in the past um, have made incredibly huge shots but have also... Uh, not said maybe the best things to the media and 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 once the media storm starts to swirl in New York, uh, how are they going to respond to that? As you know, compared to, um, for example, like Miami with a clear cut leader, uh, a strong supporting cast, but cl- it, it looks like a really solid locker room.
3: I mean, yeah. I think that the biggest parallel that you can draw there is going to be the 2016 Cavs. Right. Like you have Kyrie, who's already the one variable here, basically saying that I am the second guy and he is the second guy in Brooklyn as well. Right. And also, I think that you have a you have a guy like Kevin Durant coming out of the Warriors organization. Right. Like if he had gone from OKC straight to Brooklyn. Yeah. Maybe this would be a little different. But he's coming from a system that allowed players to thrive regardless of skill set. So I really do think that as Kevin Durant gets older, and I think that as he brings a lot of the wisdom that he learned from the type of, of, um, of basketball he was playing in California, I, I think that they won't be that much of a problem.
0: Yeah, um, I actually am embarrassed. I forgot the Nets. Um, KD, two things on that. KD was the best player in the world before he got hurt in the playoffs last year. I thought, and I thought he was dominating. He, he was the best scorer maybe I've ever seen. And another thing with Michael, he's asking like, how are they going to handle the media, him and Kyrie. I think KD's just going to keep talking shit for the rest of his career. I think that's just what he's going to do. He's always going to be like that. And at a certain point, I guess we just got to accept it because I don't think KD gives a fuck if people don't like what he's saying. He's just going to keep saying it, and that's how he's going to roll. Um, I do I – like, I like that pick with the Nets, but I do think that um, the teams like the Celtics – Bucks and Raptors might be a little deeper even though the Nets do have a lot of quality players on their team so we'll see
3: it's gonna be interesting well I think it's gonna be so much about like well what does it take to win a championship like that's what I think about the Celtics all the time right like yes we always think about the Celtics as this team that is deep they have a lot of really good players Um, and I'm not saying this to be anti-Celtic or anything like that but the point that I'm trying to make here is like is 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 Jalen Brown the second best player on a championship team? I, I have no idea. I mean, Kemba. Kemba. Well, I mean yeah. Kemba, Kemba too. But like, still, like, is is Kemba the the point guard to win a championship over these teams in the West in the next five years? I mean, like, that's the tough part, right? Like, we can talk about who's gonna who's gonna you know be the number one seed in the East or make it to the finals in the East, but like. Are the Celtics gonna win a championship? And I and I'm kind of posing that as a question to you guys like, is Jason Tatum the guy? Or is it some is it them using these assets to trade for an actual superstar type caliber player in the next five years? Or is Jason think, Tatum that player then you trade Jalen Brown for it for another guy? Like I, I don't I, know exactly, but
0: I think Jason Tatum is going to be a ten time all star, legit superstar in the NBA maybe getting to at one point averaging 30 points a game. I think that with Kemba Walker as the 2 and the 2A kind of being Jalen Brown going in the future, that combination of wings is lethal in the NBA. Look what we're seeing with the last dance and how you have Jordan and Pippen. I think that the Celtics – you're right, KD is better than Tatum now, obviously, and so is Giannis, but as they grow and build, I think that combination in Boston with the, the depth they have and Kemba and other players, they Boston's just a smart franchise. I really like, I think the Celtics are going to win a title in the next 10 years with Tatum. I, I'm not going to say I guarantee it or they'll win two to three, but I think Tatum is a legit superstar. And so they don't really need to go out and trade for a superstar because they have Jason Tatum.
2: I completely agree. And also if you look at, I mean if, if Tatum continues to grow and then you just look at the, the Raptors team that just won a title, I think that Kemba is uh you know on a similar page as Kyle Lowry. He he's a I think Kemba's a good enough point guard to lead a team mm-hmm. that wins a title.
3: Well, they also had Kawhi Leonard.
2: I'm yeah, so good I point. I'm saying Jason Tatum has to make a leap. <laughs> yeah, Jason Tatum's got to get
0: to a level like Kawhi Leonard. And I know that sounds like a lot. But I think he's, I mean, he's a very different player than Kawhi. Um, but I just think that the Celtics have with having both those two way wings is going to be lethal. Do you guys have any other thoughts on this before we move into quarantine recommendations? I'm good. All right. Well, let's get right into it. Uh, so yeah, quarantine. We're still, obviously everyone's still in this. I think it's still like May 15th now in California, probably will end up being longer. Um, so we just thought we'd share some stuff that we've been binging, so to speak, throughout quarantine. Um, I'll start it off just a real quick one. I've been really enjoying this season of Westworld. I have been started to be a lot less critical of the show. I'll what a just take. I'll just br- drink a beer while I watch it and let my mind get blown. And I like uh, Jesse or er, Aaron Paul, Jesse from Breaking Bad. I've enjoyed him. I I like the violence. I like the futuristic and I'm just rolling with it. I'm not, there's just nothing going on. And so I was like, I'll drink a beer while I watch this and just let my mind to get blown. What do you guys,
3: what else have you guys been watching? Well, on this Westworld topic, I agree. Uh, there are times Hell in yeah. this season, there are times in this season where I have been very low on it and our friend Joey and I have got into nice little arguments about where the show is going. Him usually a little more higher on it than myself but it's one of those shows where if you watch it with the light of, oh, it's not as good as the first season, it's not like the first season, then, yeah, you're going to be disappointed. But if you kind of go into it thinking to yourself, this is a different show and I'm watching something different, yeah, um, then it's awesome. And the lines that are being drawn now between – you know, what's going on in the current world and what was going on in Westworld in the original season um, is awesome. So the, the show itself is really cool and yeah, it's not what it was in the first season. Like you don't have that weird nostalgia of whatever the Westworld you know, set is um, mm-hmm. we're now in a place that has no nostalgia to us because it's the future. Um, yeah, but I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I'm really excited for, for the last episode here.
0: Yeah, yeah me too. I'm glad to hear I that. Mean- don't
2: you think it's uh, my my biggest issue with it? And I I do think it's still a gorgeous show to watch. I think that the performance are all s- still solid. I just think it's lost a bit of um, and just the magic. Like the whole reason I loved Westworld in the beginning was it made me think about things that I had not thought about. You know, it made me question things. It, it made me stay up for hours after watching it debating and thinking about where the show is going and now I feel like I'm just watching um, a higher octane futuristic action kind of like anthology which is which is fine for what it is but I think it's tough um, because of how much it's changed. I think well, it still has value but I just think it's not... Um, not the same in in terms of giving people you know larger things to think about
0: yeah on that point i do i i there is a bit less mystery i mean maybe we'll find out though in the season finale something that blows our fucking minds but one thing about the magic i think that they're kind of making like a commentary on that like in the first season you're seeing all this like crazy technology and like, oh my god, that would be so cool to go to this park and you're basically playing cops and robbers in real life, you can't get hurt blah blah blah, and I think what they're doing is they're saying, if this shit was real this is what people would do with it, you know like, this is like this is the dark side of it, or whatever um do you guys see what I'm saying?
3: yeah, I agree, well I think, I mean I have a question for you, Michael and then I also have my own comment on it but I think so much of what this show is doing and I think that, um, I mean, really the commentary that they're making in this last season is that the humans that are in this free world are essentially the same as the hosts. Like they're mm-hmm. experiencing the same type yeah. of, of control. So, Michael, do you think that you watch the show? I mean, because we watched the first season together, right? Yeah. Um, do you think that you watch the show with the same amount of intensity to delve into all of those different Storylines now as you did then because like when I watched season one and season two I'm in podcasts I was so far down the rabbit hole um in this season like I'm not putting in that effort right and I know that so like obviously mm-hmm. I'm gonna view it as maybe more of a surface level tv show but that's like in you know and I'm speaking for myself like
0: you get what you put in
3: you get what you put in. And I think Westworld is so much a show that you get what you put in. Like you can watch it as an action thriller. You can watch it as this absolute commentary on what the human experience is. Um I, so
2: Yeah, I I definitely am not putting in as much as I did uh in earlier seasons. I just feel like and and this is just a an opinion, but I, I just think that the vision, especially in season one, felt much more clear and and in season three it feels a bit like they're throwing things at the wall and hoping that something sticks
0: it's definitely a pivot from seasons one and two because i think that the reason that we're seeing this pivot in season three is because season two i mean the reason that i now watch it and i like drink a beer and not take it that seriously because season two i was just like what the fuck is going on yeah i just was like not smart enough to understand it so it's like i might as well just like enjoy this for what it is and um yeah so i've been pleasantly surprised with that mindset though so i guess i'm not being as critical
2: also i think that the the my issue is i still think the creators are trying to do though something similar like i think to a certain extent it's still a show that is trying to be about big ideas i just don't think that those big ideas are nearly as um fleshed out as they previously were
0: yeah they're definitely not as obvious because i haven't picked up on that many i guess some but i see what you mean Alex, you have anything more on Westworld or what have you been into?
3: Um nothing on Westworld, but um, I, I am excited for the last bit. I thought the episode this past Sunday was awesome. It's starting to like really tie everything together. Yeah. And um, I'm excited to see where it goes from here. I've been watching Dave. I think Dave is legitimately the, the one of the best sitcom T V shows that have come out in the last five years.
0: This is a little dicky show, right? This is
3: a little dicky show, man. It is it sneaks up on you. On how emotional the show is, you go into it thinking I'm gonna watch a little dicky music video for 30 minutes, and then it says, "Oh, actually, what you're gonna watch is a little dicky music video for three minutes." Then you're gonna watch 27 minutes of character development, and commentary on relationships, commentary on mental illness, commentary on friendship. Um, I am loving it. There is one episode left. It's on FXX Wednesday nights. I'm loving it and I and I Hulu. think that it was Hulu See it on Hulu Hulu everywhere <laughs> you get your Dave. <laughs> um I'm loving it. I think that everybody should be watching it. Everybody that I know that watches it absolutely loves it. So I second yeah. this. Yeah, heavy second.
2: Heavy second. That's just I it's also it it has no business being this good. Like this show has no business being this funny but also this insightful and and like I I mean, there's an episode, actually a couple episodes, where you legitimately tear up. <laughs> You're like, this is, this just is getting to me on on a, like a really emotional
3: level. Dude, episode nine hit me like a train of bricks. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, I get to look at Trippy Red and Young Thug and YG. I mean, come on, that's pretty good. Yeah,
0: Michael, what what have you been into?
3: Um, so
2: I got I got two recommendations. Um first recommendation and and i think this is actually one of the biggest reasons i haven't liked westworld as much is because this other like sci-fi big tech show has come along and just swept me up um and that show is devs uh it is also fx on hulu uh and basically it's a show from alex garland who made ex machina um about five years ago, and then he made this movie *Annihilation* a few years ago, uh, and so he's just a big sci-fi uh, writer director. Uh, and the show basically centers around um, a big tech organization that is run by Nick Offerman, um, and they're trying to create um, a system. I don't, I don't want to you know, give it away or anything, but the entire show basically is about determinism versus free will. Um, And how much of our lives are uh, predetermined or can be predicted. Um, And I feel like it's taken a lot of those things actually from like Westworld season one and injected it into this different show. And I think it's kind of picked up um, those themes. And it's just an absolutely gorgeous, beautiful show that is fascinating to watch. that, That is just a slow burn over eight episodes Um, It just finished up a couple weeks ago. I highly, highly recommend it. All right. Sounds good. Oh, and oh, second recommendation. Really quick. My Life as a Zucchini. It's an animated stop-motion claymation uh, little film on Netflix. It's only like 67 minutes long. So you can just like blaze through it. uh, And it's just so sweet and it's a, it's a great thing to watch with the family. Uh, and it's written by the writer director of portrait of a lady on fire, which is one of the best foreign films of the last five years. So highly recommend little French film. Can't, can't say enough about uh, zucchini and uh, his life.
0: All right. That, uh, that sounds definitely <laughs> interesting. One thing I'll throw in before we wrap it up is recently rewatched the stop making sense movie, the talking heads concert film. And It is, to this day, one. it is the best concert film of all time. And just the Take Me to the River is so freaking good live. So if you haven't seen that, definitely check that out.
3: Um, I recently sent my dad a Talking Heads song. And I said, hey, dad, I really like this Talking Heads song. And he responds by saying, that's actually not a good song. Here's a good Talking Heads song. (laughs) And uh, sends Take Me to the River live. And um, I said, yep, sorry. Sorry, my father. My bad. <laughs> but I love the talking heads. The talking heads are so awesome. And that movie is incredible.
0: Yeah. I actually got to see a couple of years ago at uh, Coachella. Um, David Byrne of the talking heads. Mm. He was on tour and um, I was Marley and I were watching it. It was super cool. He was great. They, it was super creative. He had like the drummers were like um, the drummers from like a marching band somewhat. And that was really cool. And um, Marley and I were watching him and then we looked over to our right and Vinny Chase from Entourage, standing right there. What a time, you know.
3: My gosh, David Burn. <sighs> what Byrne. He is a life! A David so Burn Entourage crossover.
0: Yeah, who would have thought?
3: <laughs> who would have thought? A pineapple
0: couch, David Burn <laughs> Entourage. <laughs>
3: Man, people! If you need, if you need commentary on the Talking Heads, FXX, <laughs> and other little. Wait, Michael, I have a question. Yes. What makes a film little? I've heard you use this many a times. You say, yeah. and it usually is only when you're talking about French <laughs> films. So I'm curious. Are French when films you say, just little? I watch this little French film. Is it the length? Is the is so, the cast generally?
0: Or is it the size of the conflict in the movie?
2: Yeah. What are we talking about? So, what is little?
0: Is it an Ant-Man situation, Michael? This
2: is not an Ant-Man who situation. In the movie,
3: who in the movie gets shrunk? Is it a who shrunk? No.
2: <laughs> <laughs> There's, this does not... So little does not equal shrinkage, no shrinkage. Uh, yeah. Little means like quiet for the most part. It's like a quiet, um, not a lot of action, a lot of dialogue. Um, and it's it's mostly focused on just a couple of characters in a world that is usually negative.
0: What if you turn it <laughs> up really loud, though?
2: Yeah. What if you have AirPods <laughs> So, if those things happen, it becomes a little less little, <laughs> but it's still on the smaller scale. It's okay, still a small gosh. scale. Speaking,
3: here's my last comment as we wrap this up, you guys. Speaking of shows that have a word that can be described to them that makes some sense. Look, have you guys watched Ozark? Yes.
0: I've seen uh, like scenes of it. Look, that know. show- it's too serious for me. Not little-
3: no literally too dark i can't see what's going on on the screen
0: oh i've noticed
3: that like i watched the first three episodes i said is uh like like who's in this who's in this i can't see anybody so anyways that's that's my take on ozark dark and i'm not talking emotional talking physical
2: you know it's it's dark also it's violent and dark
0: yeah well um i'm more of a a sunshiny day guy who watches (laughs) Spider-Man swing around. So I guess we'll end it at that. Michael and Alex, thank you both so much for joining. We'll be talking here again, same time next week on the pineapple couch, talking MJ and whatever, 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 Oh my god. What other stupid shit else we want to talk about? That's we go. That was like a legitimate, like my brain just froze. I'm gonna leave that in there so you guys can hear that. <laughs> hey, Thank you both Tuesday. so much. And it's only Tuesday. It's only Tuesday. True. Hey, True. All right, All right. I'll catch you guys Robin. later. Um stay Cheers, tuned, everyone. everybody. Um, Peter Gonzalez is joining us next to talk about Captain America the first Avenger. all right welcome back to the pineapple couch a very special segment coming up with a very special guest it is my great friend peter gonzalez peter how you doing i'm doing great thanks for having me on the show well it's about time we got you on here and we brought you on for quite a treat i would say we're going to be talking about the first captain america movie so we're continuing our quarantine time binge of the series we did iron man about a month ago and we're gonna start trying to do more of them but we're on to captain america because it we could have gone hulk or iron man 2 next but i figured the two main players in the marvel cinematic universe are iron man and cap so it'd be great to get the cap in movie you're a big cap fan right peter definitely this is one of the first movies that i think
4: after iron man really solidified for me that these movies were going to be a very big deal and i think it really does justice to the comic books as well
0: yeah, couldn't agree more. This was the movie where you kind of realized, like, oh, shit, Avengers is going to happen, and it seems like it's going to work just from what we saw in the early Iron Man movies in this, and this. there's a lot of Avenger Easter eggs in this, especially at the end. This movie basically directly sets up Avengers 1. Um, so I thought what we would do is we'll just kind of each go a quick description of the movie, and um, then the other one of us will kind of fill in the blanks maybe or remind us some stuff so i'll start with a brief description and peter after that we'll have you kind of maybe fill in the blanks on some stuff i might have missed that sound good sounds like a plan all right so keep in mind i'm a simple man so this is my description steve rogers is a small kid with a huge heart he undergoes an experiment and is injected with super soldier serum after a little time he ends up leading the Allied troops against hydra which is like the nazis which is led by red skull bucky is steve's friend his childhood friend um, and he is in the war with steve and eventually gets captured and steve goes and gets him you know, there was some experimenting going on um, and then he go cap there's like a little montage of him and his howling commandos which is his group and we'll talk more about that later and they basically are just going after red Skull. bucky dies or falls off a train and that really pisses off cap and then so cap goes after red school and he defeats red school red school like basically disappears from touching an infinity stone and then cap has to land or he crashes the plane somewhere in like ice like north like north america probably right isn't that where he did it like north of new york the arctic so, yeah arctic yeah Okay, um, and yeah, and he basically sacrifices himself to prevent a nuclear bomb hitting the entire East Coast, like three or four, hitting the East Coast of America. Um. I know that was a little jumbled, but Peter, what what else can you provide on this movie? Maybe just a little summary of some, maybe some things I missed, and then we can talk about how we feel about it.
4: I think um. something I might add is that part of the reason why Steve does become Captain America is because... He had tried out multiple times to join the army and Mm -hmm. they just wouldn't take him because he was very weak, thin, short. He just wasn't the right person until he finally was... Dr. Erskine was like, I want you to join because he recognized something good inside Steve, which there's a scene where he mentions that the serum amplifies, I guess, the reality of the person. Mm -hmm. So whereas with Red Skull, it made him into Red Skull, he needs someone who's really going to a good person and through the training montage you kind of do see that at his heart steve is a good person
0: oh yeah he um he never backs down from a challenge one of the most powerful lines i think of the movie and i might be getting it a little wrong is when bucky's kind of making fun of steve like why are you lying and trying out for the army again and again you'll get in trouble and steve basically goes like what gives me the right to not he basically says like why shouldn't I be out there if you guys are out there, right? Isn't that basically how he says that?
4: Basically, yeah. That's basically that, the reality.
0: And it's a, it's a great line. And so what you learn about Steve, and it shows it in this mu- uh, movie, but it also is something that carries on throughout the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe – is that it's it, it's his heart and it's who Steve is is what makes him so great. Like there's a line in Avengers where Tony tells Steve everything good about you was made came out of a bottle, and we learn throughout the course of these movies that Steve is just it's not what the Super Soldier Serum did. It just kind of amplified how great of a person he was because he was that always. And um, we skipping ahead to Avengers Endgame, we see that he's worthy. Of wielding Mjolnir which is the only other person in the Marvel Cinematic Universe besides Thor who can um, and that again isn't you don't, you're not worthy of Mjolnir for being strong you're worthy of wielding Mjolnir for being a great person which Cap is.
4: I'm really glad you touched upon that because that definitely really speaks to the fact of who he is he's able to wield the hammer and then I think too in Ultron where he chooses not to wield it like he could have but yeah, even though he acts such like a he great can't scene it's like he already knows that he's not going to prove it to anyone because that's his character. He doesn't need to. It's not part of what he's trying to do. And then speaking of lines that he's really famous for in this movie, in the first Avenger, the first time we hear him say, I can do this all day. Which is the line Mm. that comes
0: up multiple times throughout the MCU. Yeah, the i mean multiple times i think in endgame itself there's against thanos but then there's the one where he fights where cap fights young cap and like time traveling and he says i can do this all day and cap's like yeah yeah i know i thought that was a great scene um so i think we did a pretty decent job of and as we go through the characters and some of the things that stood out we'll cover more of what happened in the movie but Obviously, if you're listening to this, you should watch the movie. It'll make this make a lot more sense. But um, overall movie thoughts, I'll throw some at you, Peter. Um, I think this is a, a great, great movie. And on rewatch, I was reminded of that because uh, I hadn't watched it in a while. And I actually watched it like two times in the past week. And it it wasn't one that always stood out to me when I thought of my favorite MCU movies. But it is so great. The one thing I will say is it kind of left me wanting more um, I think that the final battle with Red Skull is kind of a letdown. It ends up being a more important Easter egg in Avengers Infinity War when Red Skull is on Vormir. But the how, the scenes with the Howling Commandos that was kind of like a montage, I just wanted like way more of that. And just getting that dynamic between Cap and his troops and... Because this is what, like, they go through, like, in that montage, so much stuff. Like, I would imagine almost years of battles. And so I would have liked, liked to get a little more of that. But they obviously wanted to fast-forward Cap to modern day. Um, what are your overall thoughts on the movie? You know, I really have to agree with you on that. Because
4: I this is a movie where I can watch it and it never feels like I'm, like, repetitive to me. It mm-hmm. definitely feels fresh and it's got this, a really good tone to it. But again... I feel like because it's the middle battles, which is when Steve goes by himself to rescue the Howling Commandos and everyone, and then those montage sequences, I think they're so strong that by the time you get to the confrontation with the Red Skull, it is more of a, a setup as opposed to a necessary battle. Because even then, he doesn't really beat the Red Skull. The Red Skull's kind of taken. yeah. He's kind so of you're kind of left wanting a little bit more. And the ending, it's the only thing is I feel like it's a little bit rushed. The way mm-hmm. it kind of goes down, but I guess that kind of also plays with the fact that he has to end, bring the plane down and those things. Yeah. But I definitely did want more of the montage because you, it's, they're really great scenes, and it really shows how well he works with a team and how that's really setting things up for the
0: future, also. Mm-hmm, exactly, and um, this, how I think they learned from this though, because the the scenes that I think everyone, including you and me, liked the most were those interactions with Bucky and the howling commandos and a little bit of uh, peggy carter peggy carter yeah sharon carter's the niece right correct yeah okay um when you look at captain america the winter soldier the the reason that movie is so successful i would argue is because of the relationship they have in that movie between uh cap and nat black widow and so because cap is just such so great in a group setting um it it's this movie is unique because I mean I guess Captain Marvel is kind of a period piece too, but this is like the only Marvel movie that's like not in present day at all, and it's completely different. Um, and for that, I just think that makes it so much. It's just such a great rewatch, especially just those um, Howlin' Commando scenes. I know I keep saying it, but it's just great. And another thing I wanted to bring up to you, Peter, is how much I love young Howard Stark in this movie.
4: I mean, you see, yes, he's so good in this movie. He's,
0: he's so you don't,
4: good. You don't think he's going to be as big of a character when you first see him, but unless you're obviously a fan of the show, you and the movies, mm-hmm. and you know what's going on. But if you're first watching it, you think he's just a guy who's inventing things. But then he just plays such a pivotal role in setting up what ultimately will be his son's relationship with Steve Rogers too. Yes. So it's like it's very in the family, and they've always been a part of one another. I mean, he gives him the shield, which is such a monumental moment that echoes into avengers endgame
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah could not agree more i would have i know there's a agent carter tv show and i've watched a little bit of it i need to finish it but i would love i guess it's kind of impossible the way this movie ended but i because of cap going into ice but the idea of a movie or a show centered around cap howard stark and uh peggy carter i think would have been awesome because the dynamic between those three was just incredible
4: I think it really added some lightness to the movie too. I mean, they had, there was just this the spark between the three characters that you don't really see a lot of in a lot of the movies. It's just mm-hmm. it's very organic and it felt reminiscent to this kind of sparring that would come up later with Tony and I, and Steve, where it's just like back and forth, like almost like a game of tennis, just super easy. And I do I did see um, the Peggy Carter series, and it w- does a good job of fleshing out the relationships. I mean, granted, Steve's not in them, but it does mm-hmm. further give more to these characters that I think are a big part of the MCU. Yeah,
0: I'll have to check that out. Um, so going, we're going through the characters kind of naturally there. Um, let's go on to Bucky. So Bucky's Cap's best friend. Helps uh, when Cap's getting beat up when he's super small. He scares them off. He's going to join the army. Um, and Cap, all he wants to do is be there with Bucky because he doesn't think that he is any less like he thinks he d- he has to uh, serve his country that's what Captain America is about and so Bucky he eventually reunites with Bucky um and so this is probably obvious but I'm kind of piecing it together now um Bucky gets captured right and their experiment experiment whatever the guy's name is that turns into a computer the Dr. L- Zola. Yeah, Dr. Zola. He basically I like so he experiments on Bucky and then Captain America gets him, but then when Bucky dies and falls off the train, the reason he survives is per- is because of the experiments, right? From Dr. Zola.
4: Correct. Is- I guess he's because of that it's given him like stronger immunity and then
0: they're able to capture him again mm-hmm. and further experiment on him. And then they mind they mess with his mind and all sorts of stuff. And he becomes the Winter Soldier, which is the next movie. Um moving on to another character, we got Red Skull who is such an iconic villain in Marvel comics and um, fights the Avengers all the time. So what was weird is how, I mean, he obviously didn't die in this movie. He goes to Vormir, but I wouldn't rule Red School as someone out or I wouldn't rule Red School as like coming back into the MCU, like maybe in the future, because in the comics, at least he never really goes away. It's hard to beat him. And maybe now that, He doesn't have to guard the Soul Stone anymore. He is going to start wreaking havoc. But I know that the actor who played him did not play the same actor who played it. Was not the same guy as the one who played him in Infinity War. Because the OG actor didn't like being in superhero movies. So they would bring him back with the other guy. But um, Red Skull I think is an effective villain. But I think like you said earlier. He is kind of like just not as exciting as the stuff with the Howling Commandos and Peggy Carter and Howard Stark, that he kind of, like, it's just like, eh, you know, like, he's okay. He's not, like, the highlight of the movie by any means. Do you agree?
4: No, yeah, 100%. I feel like he's there because we need a villain. And, again, he sets up Hydra. He's the one who kind of gives us. That's,
0: that's such a good point. Hydra starts, this, sort of, movie this just need, why. The movie just needed a villain instead of just telling the story of Captain America, so Red Skull kind of just gets thrown in there.
4: Yeah, and it, he served his purpose. I mean, otherwise, you would never have had. How did Hyra, Hydra come to be? How did, mm-hmm. and it really gave True. it an organic sense of like they split from the Nazis because they even wanted to destroy the Nazis in the end too, because they wanted to be the supreme rulers. And mm-hmm. I think it it does again speak to what the Captain America story will be throughout the MCU. Him having to fight Hydra, it goes but it starts from there and goes into Winter Soldier and goes into Civil War. It's all and the rest of the movies. There is that underlying Hydra. Which it had to be set up, and so I think he, Red Skull does a good job of setting that up. I mean, the I do it, the opening scene where he does go to get the Tesseract, and he, you know, he's still um, Johann Schmidt. It's it's mm-hmm. a little confusing for me the first time. Uh, first, after I have to like really pay attention to that scene because it's a little murky. But I think that again, he as a job, his job as a villain, but even then, he doesn't really contribute all that much to the story as far as direct conflict with steve until the very end of the
0: movie yeah it's basically like a game of cat and mouse the whole movie they're like he gets there like a little bit after cap and then they kind of always like escape each other until the final end um so those are the main characters um I, what i thought now to wrap things up with captain america is we would each have about four or five things that whether they're easter eggs um or the scenes that just really stood out to us that we would bring up to discuss um and share with you guys. So I said this earlier so I will just uh reiterate it. The Howling Commandos are awesome. Just the that montage scene make that itself like a five part hour hour long episode, five part series. I would watch that. I would I loved that. Um so yeah, I'll repeat there but I just wanted to mention it. Um what do you got, Peter?
4: <clears throat> um I think Peggy Carter. I think she is a, I think she's a really interesting viewpoint into how they portray the female character in an MCU movie mm-hmm. whereas we see Pepper Potts in Iron Man she doesn't get a lot to do outside of being Pepper Potts whereas Peggy Carter is like a fully developed character and really stands on her own in what she's doing and I think throughout the movies, her impact has a more significant role than even if you know Jane Foster in Thor or um oh yeah totally like, totally. her character is actually a character who's a contributing part. Like, we've talked about with her and Howard and Steve. It's, like, she is the reason... She gives Steve also more motivation to why he does things. And mm-hmm. she's an actual character, which I think is kind of the only female character in the series that kind of really gets her do her whole arc. She's never, like, felt like a background character.
0: hmm Could not agree more. The scene where um, she... where Cap gets the shield and then she shoots it because she's pissed that cap that chick was making out with a cap that is an all-time scene um and also like the the final kiss that they have is great because of the the other general who, who goes I, i'm not gonna kiss you that's a uh, great stuff and that's what marvel's so good at is mixing in that comedy and tense moments i'll throw one at you um the steve bucky relationship is absolutely electric from the start just from the first time you see them together to the final time in end game when it's old cap talking to bucky just the the relationship or like the coordination that uh those two actors just sebastian stan and chris evans they have is unbelievable, and just like the way Sebastian stands so good at like just giving looks to Cap and vice versa, I just think their relationship is obviously like powers the second and third movies of the Captain America franchise probably. But it's just so great right away, such a joy, such a treat to watch.
4: A hundred percent. I think, as you said, that's something that carries forward Winter Soldier, Civil War into Endgame, and in all of them it plays out, and again, this movie sets up so many things that tie in so well into Endgame. And I think, and going back to the fact that Steve misses his dance with Peggy at the end of the first Avenger, and at the very end of, you know, Endgame, he, full circle moment. Mm -hmm. But something else I did think was interesting was, we kind of hear about allusions to Wakanda with the vibranium. Yep, the fact that his shield is made from the vibranium and it's something we have. Wakanda's basically set up since First Avenger without really giving too much away.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that um, the idea of a it, it would never happen, but it would be really cool to see the interaction between T'Challa's dad T'Chaka and Howard Stark. Um, how that vibranium was transferred. I believe it was because Howard Stark helped them stop Claw i think is how that went i am in the comics it's uh it's pretty similar to that like howard stark helps helps them so they give him a little um but one thing i wanted to mention bring up because you i forgot to say it after you're talking about uh, peggy carter maybe the best scene in the entire movie is when that jerk douchebag like starts hitting on her when she's addressing the soldiers and then she just punches him in the face freaking phenomenal
4: Such a good scene, and then I guess tied to that scene too is where Cap really proves himself when the general throws the grenade into the into the group. Oh yeah, everyone runs away except for Steve. He's the only one that throws himself on the grenade. That's that's a moment in itself. That you know,
0: yeah. It's just who Cap is. He's and this movie does such a great job of kind of like. I mentioned earlier the statement of Iron Man saying to Cap, like everything special about you was came from a bottle. This movie does such a great job of proving that that is not true. It's like it's kind of weird though because it's like at the same time it's showing how much stronger he's gotten how like this. But who he is never wavers, ever, and that's that's very um that's why seeing him have to deal with the events of Winter Soldier and Civil War is so fascinating to me. Because and another thing, I guess this is my last point is. It is shocking how good they made Captain America. Captain America in the comics, I was never like not a fan, but he was the bland, just kind of good guy. Not like one of the most popular superheroes for Marvel at all, at all. And when this movie was first announced, it was like okay, cool, but like man, I, I, I like Thor. I want Spider Man. I want X Men. And the way that Captain America was revitalized through the MCU is insane because he is never nearly as popular as he is now. And Chris Evans did such a great job of portraying him. And as we'll get into when we do uh, Winter Soldier and Civil War, we talk the and I guess Infinity War, the, the transformation of Cap throughout this throughout being in the MCU is, is really fascinating. And one of the him and Iron Man and Thor, those three, they're the arcs that they go on in this, uh, in this movie series. is just, it's just what makes it so good.
4: Yeah. Because if had the casting not worked for this too, I think, the, I think the story had to work and the casting had to work in order for this movie. to As you said, it really revitalized who Cap was. I mean, we could have been in a world where there would have been a third fantastic four movie where yeah. he would have still been playing the Human Torch and we would have never gotten... Because he originally wasn't even going to do this movie to begin with. Mm-hmm. He was yeah, going to pass on John it. John
0: Krasinski and, almost played
4: Cap. Which I think would have created an entire... Which, you know, that would have set up something totally different, I think, and changed it up very much so.
0: Yeah, um I think Iron Man 1, obviously being successful, proved that people like superhero movies. Captain America... That made it possible for the Avengers to come out and for all that stuff. That while Iron Man one is the the starter, like the the spark that lighted the fire. Captain America, the first one, really shows that hey, this fire's gonna keep burning and we're building towards something.
4: And I mean they built it something pretty spectacular too. No, it's
0: the greatest thing ever. It's literally I've watched through quarantine, I just watched them constantly. These movies are so good. If you somehow have listened to this entire podcast of us talking about captain america and have not seen the marvel movies oh my gosh one thank you for listening and two how about this we'll we'll end it with each of us give a recommendation of an mcu movie to watch and then um the next time we do this we can do the same how's that sound
4: that sounds fair i like it
0: Um, I will let you go last because I'll let you wrap things up. Um, I will say I would go watch Thor Ragnarok um, has is vaulting up my list of favorite MCU movies. The best depiction of Thor, obviously like when Thor shows up on Wakanda in infinity war, that's like one of the coolest moments, but watching Thor lose Mjolnir and go through all that stuff. And hell is such a great villain and, Bruce Banner being in that movie. I just love Thor Ragnarok. So if you haven't seen that one, go check it out. What do you got, Peter?
4: I'm going to have to go ahead and say um, Captain America's Civil War. I think it's basically almost its own side Avengers movie in a sense. And it really we get is. Such great introductions. We get Black Panther, we get Spider Man, we get all these characters brought in. Granted, it's very hard to watch too because you're seeing them fight one another which is Mm -hmm. harder than you'd expect to watch because you're like, you don't know who to root for and you're just conflicted and it really sets up, again, the emotional heart of the movies is got that Steve and Bucky storyline and Steve and Tony. It's all the different Mm -hmm. things you want to see in an MCU movie in a movie that wasn't an Avengers movie but pretty much it's like an unofficial Avengers movie so I'd recommend that one for sure.
0: Yeah, it's almost like... It's funny you say that because I think it's like almost more of an official Avengers movie than like Ultron, you could argue. Um, uh, One thing I wanted to ask you before we wrapped it up. um, In that final battle of Civil War, so you got not the airport one, the one right after Tony learns that Bucky killed his parents. Who were you rooting for? Because I were you just neutral because I know who I was rooting for. I was very, very Team Iron Man. I was like, go go get him, Tony. And I love Bucky as a character, but in, when I first thought I was like go, it's like how Tony says I don't care he killed my mom. Like and he I was full on Tony's side, so I'm curious what your reaction to that was. I think that that line definitely
4: broke me a little bit just to hear him say that his motivation why he wanted to do it. And at the same time, it's like I was rooting for Cap to stop him because no one was getting like cuz I'm such a conflict resolution type of person. So oh, I was yeah, very true. much, like, Cap was trying to get him to, just like, not kill him and just kind of see both sides. And, you know, they end up saying, like, he's my friend, and he then Tony says, I was your friend, too. And it's just, like, there's really no winner. But I found myself more on Cap's side, but at the same time, it's a hard one. I don't think I was on Bucky's side, really, because he really didn't really do anything. He's kind of just fighting to stay alive, whereas yeah, Steve was trying to much, stop then. him from killing his friend and... That was rough. That's a rough, It's a rough movie to watch for sure, but yeah, a great it's, movie. It's not very
0: happy, especially like that final scene with the shield hitting or stuck in Iron Man's chest. That that it's not a sight to see, and that's obviously that divide is what sets Thanos up for success in Infinity War. Um, but Peter, it has been such a pleasure talking this movie with you. We will probably do this again quite soon. I'm thinking we could do um, Winter Soldier if not Avengers. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, thank you so much for being on. For sure. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. It was. Um, and yes, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Peter. Awesome. Thanks. And that will wrap it up. Thank you to Peter for joining. Thank you to Alex and Michael. Thank you to big dog. Thank you to the listeners for listening. Um, we hope to catch you sometime next week. See you then. (music)
3: Thank <music> you.